special guests here. I feel like it's weird to even call them guests. Pastor Dan and, and Ginger work. Uh, this is uh, this is their last Sunday here. Why don't you come up, Dan? And Ginger, too, if you want to. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Dan is uh, the interim pastor at uh, Soap Lake, Washington. It sounds like a good, clean place to live to, to me, you know. But uh, why don't you... Okay. Good morning. We uh, thought we'd better come and say goodbye. <laughs> We're uh, officially starting at Soap Lake next week. Uh, next Sunday will be my first Sunday as interim pastor. We, we actually won't be living there until probably the following week. We did find a house this week, and they have some work to do on it before we can move in, but... Uh, we're tired of living out of boxes <laughs> and, and wondering where was this packed and how do, how do we find this and, and so, so forth. Uh, Tim asked me to say a few words just a few minutes ago, so I, my words are disjointed. <laughs> I, I didn't have time to th- think them through here, but I, I was reflecting as we sang precious memories of how many precious memories we have here. I was telling somebody last night, one of the reasons pastors move is because you have all kinds of illustrations to to use somewhere else. We've got 11 years of them to draw on here. Uh, But as I think back, it was two years ago this weekend that was our last Sunday with you. And uh, what has been going on in two years? We started it with a bang. I, I ran into a, a light fixture in our old house and I had a concussion. I was out of it for probably four or five months. My wife is still convinced that there was permanent brain damage. <laughs> but uh, that, that, that's a, another story. During that time, we were busy working on a new ministry, which we called Shepherd Staff, a ministry for pastors uh, in, in rural areas we introduced that at the district conference last uh, first of this month, and already we're beginning to see some results from that. We've had several calls, people wanting help and counseling and so forth. So uh, we are still working on that ministry, but also I've been filling in the pulpit at Soap Lake since January, I guess, was our first time there. And they have officially asked us to come as interim pastor as they go through that process of, of looking for a pastor. Now, some of you were involved in that here, and you know that takes some time. And they're just getting started in that process, so uh, we're looking at possibly a year or two there be- before that is taken care of. But uh, I guess as we leave, we would just like to say thank you for the precious memories. And thank you for the prayers. Okay. Do you guys need some help moving, loading up? Let us know. We'll get some guys together. So what, what do you think of when you think of peace? You know, when I was 
when I was real little in the 60s. Some of you weren't real little in the 60s. But we, yeah, it seems like we heard a lot about peace. I remember, you know, the peace sign and all this kind of stuff. But uh, there's a guy named uh, Michael Ramsden. Uh, well, elaborating on loving one's neighbor, uh, this guy spoke of a colleague who, well, in Asia, asked his audience to close their eyes and, and imagine peace. Close your eyes and imagine peace. And after a few seconds, the audience was invited to uh, share their, their mental picture of peace. And uh, one person described a, a field with flowers and, and beautiful trees. Another person spoke of, of snow-capped mountains and you know an incredible alpine landscape. Still another uh, described the, the scene of a, a beautiful lake. And after everybody described their mental picture of peace, there was one thing in common in them all. There were no people in them. (laughs) And so Ramsden commented, isn't it interesting when asked to imagine peace, the first thing we do is to eliminate everyone else. Well, that's, that's different from the biblical concept of peace. You know, where we are in, in relationships with others by design and, and by God's will. You know, we sang that song about being part of the family of God. You know, every, everybody who's part of a family knows that sometimes uh, peace is a, uh, a thing that needs to be worked on. You know, the Christian life is, is communal. And uh, we must live with our brothers and sisters in peace. So in this next section of the letter to the Philippians, we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 4, starting with verse 2. Paul continues to speak about, uh, you know, in practical terms, living this life, uh, you know, how to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. You know, Paul's been giving very practical things here. and, And the overriding theme in this next section is peace. What does it look like to, to live in peace? So as we continue here, let's start with verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored, labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there in any is if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So I'd like to look at this passage in, in three parts. First, uh, peace in, in relationships. Next, peace in our our disposition, our our attitude. 
And then finally, uh, peace in practice, how we, how we walk the Christian life in, in peace. So first, peace in relationship. You know, Paul begins by addressing these two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Uh, and what he points out is that they need to be in agreement. They need to come together in peace. You know, there's, there's peace and, and unity. Paul has talked already uh, about unity. And he strongly urges these two women to agree in the Lord. Now, he's, he's imploring them to, to have this relational peace, the, the same attitude, the same way of thinking. You know, one thing we can notice here is that he says the same thing to each one of them. He says... I entreat Euodia. And then he says, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He's saying these, these two women have a shared responsibility to come together in agreement and, and live in peace. So he's, he's placing the responsibility equally on, on both of them to come together in unity in mind and in attitude. Now, what, what happens when two people have a dispute and this is apparently maybe a, a, a deep dispute for it to have come to Paul's attention. You know, maybe, maybe each person will say, well, she wronged me. She started it. You know, I'm going to, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wait till she comes to me and apologizes before I'm, I'm willing to live at peace with her. And then the other woman is over here saying the same thing. And then you get this gridlock and nothing happens. But this dispute just sits there and simmers and boils. Well, that's not God's way. That's not God's way. You know, whether, whether, whether we are the offender or the offended, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility no matter. The, the responsibility is ours to take that first step for reconciliation. And it should be done in private, one by one, according to the model that Jesus gives us. He, Jesus lays out this, this biblical pattern in uh, Matthew eighteen fifteen. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And, uh, you know, yeah, how we are. We, we think, well, maybe, maybe we're different. Maybe this doesn't apply to us. But it does. We should not skip that first step. And if and if somebody sinned against us, you know, Jesus gives an, another passage, uh, Matthew five twenty three through twenty four. He says, "If you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, so maybe you're the offender. Leave the gift there and go before the altar and go be reconciled first to your brother, and then come and offer your gift." In any case, it's our responsibility. It's my responsibility 
to take the first step to seek reconciliation and, and not wait for the other person to act first. So we don't know what's going on with these women. We, Paul doesn't give us that information, but uh, we know it is significant enough that Paul mentioned it in the letter. It's significant enough that word of this has reached outside of the, the church of Philippi. Paul's heard about it. It certainly must be affecting the church. You know, this, uh, this appeal to these two women is, is very similar to the, uh, the, the one Paul gave earlier uh, in this general exhortation in chapter 2. Of, of being in the same mind to, in order to agree in the Lord. You know, these, these women are going to need to do what Paul said, where he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of, of others. This is God's design for us as, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's, it's his will and his desire for our church, you know, that we be people of, of peace, people of unity, people of agreement and of the same mind. You know, the, uh, the, the building metaphor that, that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians, come, Ephesians comes to mind, you know, where together as, as living stones, we're, we're being built together on the foundations laid by the apostles with, with Jesus Christ being the, the cornerstone. Fitted together, he says. Fitted together, close and tight. Being built up into a, a dwelling place for the Lord, a place of, of praise and worship. You know, a place where the Lord shows up. What happens if we're not joined together? We're a pile of rubble. We need to be together as one. We need unity. We need to be peacemakers. You know, it's, it's God's desire that we live in peace with each other. And so Jesus said, I, th- I think you'll recognize this one. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. If we're not in peace with one another, you know, we've, we've lost our saltiness. We've lost our effectiveness in, in the world and in the community. We've lost our effectiveness in our, our testimony to the good news of, of Jesus Christ because we're busy fighting and bickering with each other. Paul gives us a really good picture in Romans 12, verses 14 through 18, he, about the attitude, the mind we need to have. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Where's he putting that responsibility? He's putting it on me. He's putting on each of us to take that first step, that take that responsibility. You know, so far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. 
What does this mean? It means we need to focus on our own hearts. There may be people who, this, this, this question always comes up when I've, I've discussed this with people. Well, what if, what if th- that person is irreconcilable? What if they don't want to live at peace with me? Well, Paul is saying, guess what? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with that person. We need to focus on our own heart. It's our responsibility. Uh, you know, there, there may be people who are, these, these, these two terms come from a, a book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Really good book. But he, he talks about people who are peace breakers. Peace breakers. You know, they, they constantly stir up strife. He uses another term, which I like. It's called peace fakers. So we've got peacemakers, peace breakers, and peace fakers. What's a peace faker? It's a person who pretends there's peace, but there's not really, and that, that's, not, that's not a good thing. What happens? It simmers, right? The pressure builds up, and eventually that's, that's going to blow up. You know, uh, peace breakers, peace fakers, that's not what we want to be. We want to be peacemakers. And if that other person is not a, a peacemaker, you know what? All we can do is pray for them and still make the effort. You know, the thing is a broken relationship in a church hurts the body. That's why Paul is bringing this up. Interesting that he's naming these two women by name, in this God-inspired book for us to hear about 2,000 years later. Here's the thing, you know, if I have a broken relationship, there's a barrier between me and another person. And uh, what Paul's saying here is, you know, I need to make sure that if there's a barrier, it's not because I built that barrier. I need to do everything I can to tear down that barrier. You know, I, I need to seek to repair that relationship. I need I need to be a peacemaker. I need to seek peace. And if I'm rejected, that's a difficult thing. It really is. But I need to pray for that person. That, that God would soften his or, or her heart and be willing to be reconciled. I need to pray that God would work in that person's heart. Paul next encourages someone else to help. This, this is kind of, kind of interesting, the way this is worded in our translated. Paul asks someone to help these women. This someone is uh, Sisygus, which is a Greek word. It, it means yoke fellow, comrade, or, or companion. And our English translations translate it as, as such, uh, you know, true companion or something like this. But many commentators think this, this might be a person with that name, you know, names, names in the uh, the ancient world always meant something. So, you know, whether it's uh, a particular person that Paul has in mind, or if it's just in general, anyone who's able to, to get in there and help out with mending this relationship between this, these two women, he's saying, help them, help them. You know, if these, if these women are not, able to take the first step 
and resolve this issue on their own. You know, we, they need to go to step two and, and have, have uh, intervention. And notice that Paul refers to these women with, with dignity and respect. He, he doesn't put them down. He, he acknowledges their hard work and, and their usefulness and their faithfulness. He says they've been, uh, you know, they've, they've labored with him for the gospel along with uh, Clement and, and many others. He makes sure that we know their names are written in the book of life. They're, they're Christians. They're valuable to the Lord. That's why Paul goes to the trouble to mention this. You know, Jesus has, has saved these, these two women. They're, they're very dear to him. They're very dear to Paul as well. But they need peace. The church needs peace. The church needs these women to agree in the Lord because their conflict is affecting the body. Now, conflict brings grief. I don't know many people who enjoy conflict. You know, it robs us of of joy. It it distracts us from our primary purpose, which is to bring glory to Christ. That's what we're here for. We don't need conflict. God cares about our attitude. He cares about our temperament. So let's look next about having uh, peace in our disposition, in our attitude. Paul gives us a command next. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And this is most emphatic that he repeats it like that always and again. Rejoice in the Lord. This, this verb is in the, uh, the present active tense, which means do it right now and keep doing it. Don't wait until things are perfect. Don't wait till all the problems are solved. They never will be. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in whatever circumstances you're in. You know, Paul's writing this from prison. His circumstances, most of us would not consider to be joyful. He's he's writing to these Philippians who are under intense persecution. Their circumstances are not circumstances that most people would say, yay, you know, we, we love this. You know, he exhorts them to put aside what might be that natural response, which would be to pity themselves, to feel sorry for themselves and be bitter and have despair and and maybe anger. Instead, they're to rejoice knowing God's in control. God knows what he's doing. He's got a plan for you. He's got you right here, right now for a purpose. So this is written to the Philippians, but it's for all God's people at all times. Rejoice in the good times. Rejoice in the bad times. And I love the way he says, in the Lord. We can only do this in the Lord. We don't have the power. We don't have the wherewithal to do this. We need to trust in him. We need to rely on him to be truly joyful. We know this couple in Montana. They've gone through some really hard times. They're they're about 10 years older than Chris and myself. And uh, they, their, their oldest son was born with uh, some severe uh, developmental disabilities. He will, he will live with them as long as they're alive. Uh, their, their son-in-law died of cancer at about the age of 30, leaving their daughter with these little girls that they ended up kind of having to take them in. And they've had many, many hard things you know it's one of these families you just listen to their story and I know there's there's families here that 
would would say the same kind of things. You know, we've gone through some hard things, they say, but you know what? Even in our sorrow, we have joy. We have joy because it's from the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. It's the only way they're going to have joy, but it is genuine and it is sincere and it's it's beautiful. You know, their their attitude bears uh, testimony to God's grace and, and his goodness and his care. And this is the joy that we can all only find in the Lord, a joy that we can experience in the midst of suffering and, and sorrow. You know, if we're, if we're in the middle of a relational conflict, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's right we should not feel at peace, you know, that, that we experience inner turmoil. You know, maybe the, the presence of that pain is an indicator that something's wrong and needs to be taken care of. Yeah, I believe Paul placed this command right here in this letter for a particular reason, you know, this command to rejoice in the Lord. You know, I think it uh, is a joy that would be the fruit of a healed relationship. You know, it's going to be the result of, of peacemaking. You know, it's, it's a decision we need to make. It's a matter of obedience and a matter of Christian disposition. Paul gives us another command in the matter of uh, disposition towards others. He says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. You know, we should be known as reasonable people, not unreasonable people, you know, not stubborn, not immovable. You know, the, the word in the original language means not insisting on every right of letter of law or custom, yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant, you know, does, does this describe us? Does it describe me? No, not always. You know, this, this is something the Lord needs to work on me and maybe some of you. You know, do, do we feel we need to stand our ground in every encounter? Do we, do we feel like, you know, I, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. You know, do we always need to have our way? Do we always need to be in absolute control? If we do, we're not showing our reasonableness. We're not showing ourselves to be gentle and, and yielding. People are going to see something else instead. You know, and the thing about a lack in this area is that it's so easy to see in other people, is it not? But we don't see it in ourselves. You know, we, we might be thinking, boy, I hope uh, so-and-so is listening to this. You know, and uh, as, as I say these things, I myself know that I need God to work in my heart. That's why God gave me the Holy Spirit to indwell me and empower me and convict me and teach me. Yeah, I, I need to show myself to be reasonable. I need to uh, trust in the Lord every day, every moment of every day in order to do any of these things. You know, I, I need to be a person of grace. I need to be gentle and I need to be yielding. I need to be able to show grace to my, my brothers and trust God with other people's faults. Uh, by way of illustration, think about how we drive. You know, we've all heard of road rage, right? Well, according to a new study, 
of the uh, AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety, nearly 80% of U.S. drivers express significant anger, aggression, or road rage behind the wheel at least once in the past year. So if you're part of the 20%, pray for the other 80% here. Okay. <laughs> and the most alarming finding suggests that approximately 8 million U.S. drivers engaged in extreme examples of road rage, particularly or including purposely ramming another vehicle, getting out of the car to confront another driver. Many drivers report engaging in the following types of road rage. Purposely tailgating, 51%. Yelling at another driver, 47%. I can't, that's kind of low, I think, probably. <laughs> Honking to show annoyance or anger, 45%. Making angry gestures, 33%. Trying to block another vehicle from changing lanes, 24%. And so one of the, one of the studies researchers concluded this. Inconsiderate driving, bad traffic, and daily stresses of life can transform minor frustrations into dangerous road rage. Far too many drivers are losing themselves in the heat of the moment and lashing out in ways that could turn deadly. Road rage does not show yourself to be reasonable to all people, okay? Hopefully we don't engage in spiritual road rage. We need to be people who yield to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We, we need to be slow to anger. We need to act in a forgiving, graceful manner towards our, our fellow Christians. You know, we're on this narrow road that the Lord has put us on. We don't need spiritual road rage. Paul reminds us that the, uh, the Lord is at hand. He's, he's near. He's with us. His presence is with us right now through the, the Holy Spirit. He's, he's returning for us soon. You know, we need, we need to have this, this sense of his nearness, both being here and, and coming for us. You know, we, we need to consider this in the way we act and the way we treat each other. Our, our character, our disposition matters to him. He said he'd never leave us or forsake us. You know, this, this is why Paul can say, don't be anxious in anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. To me, that describes peace. Not the anxiety part. You know, that's, anxiety is a peace killer. You know, it's, it's not a, a, an indicator of a, a peaceful disposition. Yeah, anxiety will keep us up at night, right? We can be anxious about things that happened in the past, anxious about what's going to happen in the future, anxious about something I, I said or something I should have said or something that whatever. You can just fill in the blanks. There's a million things we can be anxious about. Paul says don't be anxious about anything. That's hard, uh, it's a peace killer. Anyway, uh, I was I was praying with a fellow pastor a few days ago on on a Zoom call, and he he prayed something, which gave me one of those aha moments as I was thinking about this. He he prayed to the Lord, Lord, help me li- to live in the moment, 
Help me to live in the moment. I just thought, yeah, that's it. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It's not, is not life more than food and body more than clothing? And he goes on to you know, talk about the, the wheat and the birds and, and the flowers, about how God takes care of nature. And if he's taking care of nature, he's taking care of us. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. <clears throat> you know, we, we need to live in the present. Today's problems are, are sufficient. We just need to trust in God, be in constant communion with him. So our disposition should be one of joy, reasonableness, <clears throat> calmness, and, and prayer. You know, having an attitude of prayer. We need to take our concerns with, with God, with thanksgiving in prayer. That's a challenge for us, being thankful for whatever the circumstances are. Being thankful, going to the Lord with our requests. We promise that when we do this, God's peace will guard our hearts. God's peace will guard our minds. You know, this is, this is something we need to cultivate in our spiritual lives. This is something that we need to discipline ourselves to do. We need to train ourselves to, to do this, having this, this attitude, this disposition of prayer. Uh, sometimes it's hard for me, and I'm sure sometimes it's hard for, for all of us. You know, sometimes we might feel quite overwhelmed and feel like giving up. When we do, we need to bring it to God. That's all we can do. Who else are we going to go to? Who else can we turn to? You know, there's, this is something that we can only do by the power of God in, in our lives. So we need to give him our problems, our, our griefs, our, our issues. We need to pray without ceasing. We need to have an attitude and a disposition of prayer. We need to lay our burdens down before him, give him our anxieties. He cares for us. Finally, Paul talks about peace and practice. First, he talks about the, uh, the discipline of our thought life, how we should train our minds. There's this thing that our, our pastor in Montana used to say all the time. He said, the battle is in the mind. The battle's always in the mind. My grandmother used to always quote this proverb that said, as, as a man thinketh, so is he. You know, we, need to, we need to take heed of these things. You know, we need to be people of truth. Um, you know, we, we all know how much misinformation is, is at our fingertips on, on the internet. You know, we need to have integrity to hold on to things that are true and reject things that are not. We need to be honorable towards each other. You know, we need to be worthy of honor and we need to show honor to others. You know, this is something I think is very much missing 
in our world. You know, we see people being dragged through the mud for sport, for entertainment. You know, there there are those that just seem to enjoy uh, slandering and humiliating each other. Just get on Facebook. We, we need to be people who care about justice. You know, what, what did God say in Micah? Micah 6, 8. You know, God requires us to do justice. Look at these other things. Um, he says, you know, what other things are pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise? You know, we could, we could do a whole sermon series on that. But suffice it to say, we need to, we need to submit our thought life to our Lord. We need to be conformed to his, his image. Paul said earlier in the book, have this mind, the same mind which, which was in Christ. As we are more conformed to the image of Christ, our minds are more conformed to his way of thinking. We need to submit our thought life to the, the cleansing power of the Lord. So, verse 9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be in you. Practice these things. Remember elsewhere, Paul has said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Practice these things. This means discipline. This means doing the, doing the right thing over and over, making it a, a habit, making it a principle that, that we follow. And what's the promise? That the God of peace will be with you. You know, there's, there's peace in the nearness of, of God. And this needs to be our heart's burning desire to live in the peace of the Lord, to rejoice in him. And as we imitate to seek him and have his attitude, God's peace will prevail in our minds and our hearts. And as we wrap this up, I'm challenged by this. I I hope every one of my brothers and sisters in this room are are challenged by this, this passage. Let's... Let's be people of peace. Let's let's please live in peace with each other. You know, we, we need to actively pursue peace with our brothers and sisters. We need to be motivated by this love that Jesus Christ has put in our hearts when he transformed us. You know, God's God's desire for us is a far cry from what Paul describes in another book, Galatians five fifteen, where He's saying, if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. That's not peace. Let's be people of, of a peaceful disposition, a, people, a peaceful practice, showing reasonableness, showing gentleness to everyone. The Lord's near. We need to be mindful of that. Let's, let's be people of prayer, always casting our cares on, on him, laying down our anxieties before the throne of grace that we can so boldly approach. Let's be people who practice peace in everything we do. Pray with me.
Father, you are you call yourself the God of peace, and Jesus is the, the Prince of Peace, and the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Peace. Lord, help us to submit ourselves to you, that we would become people of peace. Lord, as as your children, you you expect us to be peacemakers. We we need your help, Lord, to, to overcome things that are against peace among us. Let your peace rule, Lord, in, in our hearts, in our minds, and in our our families, and in your church, Lord. We need you, Lord. We thank you for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Looks like you got another song for us here. All right. I know, uh, I know the, the first thing that came to me when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior was peace. I remember walking out in that barn, I was milking cows, and, and just the peace that came over me. I can't even explain it. And uh, so that's something we can pass on to somebody else tomorrow if we get together with some friends and relatives and roast a hot dog or what we're going to do. Is just share your peace that you that the Lord has given you, and tell Him how much He loves you. As we're going to sing right now, Oh, how He loves you and me. <clears throat> Please stand. <clears throat> oh, how He loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus to Calvary did go, his love for mankind to show. What he did there brought hope from despair. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. We praise you, God, for that love that you've given us. And we pray, God, we can pass that on to someone else that needs a little touch of love. They've been through a hard time, and they just need to hear about your love. And God, give us the boldness and the love for them to pass it on, that we care enough about them. We pray, God, you go with each person today, and it's just uh, it just warms our heart to see each other here today, doesn't it, Lord? It's exciting times we live in. We live in uh, times when people are looking for answers, and we got the answer. The Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. Just share it over a hot dog or whatever. This is 
This is what's changed my life, Jesus Christ. And he can do the same to you, my friend. Just put your trust in him today. Don't wait any longer. Pretty easy, pretty easy. Thank you, Lord, for that message, that simple message, yet a life-changing message you've given us. In Jesus' name.